This is Valor Radio. Valor, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger with resolve and determination in battle or in any other situation. Valor, like that displayed by veterans of every branch of the military throughout our community. This radio show, Valor Radio, salutes all of you who have raised your right hands to volunteer to protect and preserve our unique American way of life. Thanks for joining us and your brothers and sisters in uniform. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front lines, sleeping peace tonight. American soldier. Now, Valor Radio. Well, hello, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coasties, and guardians, and the civilians serving by their sides. So glad you could join us here for another edition of Valor Radio. Uh, Colonel Paul Simonelli not with us this week. Uh, he is in the eastern part of the state doing something related to public safety and uh, helping out law enforcement at the behest of uh, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. And we wish him well with that uh, endeavor. So he couldn't be here today. But fear not, we have uh, fearless Captain Steve Amano with us. Hey, Steve. Good to have. Good to be here. Yes. Thanks for thanks for coming in here oh. at zero dark thirty. No problem. Yeah. So did you? By the time you hear this program, the the stretch of incredible weather may have may have gone away. This weekend is supposed to kind of like go emphatically the other way but uh, but boy yeah. it's like mid-july for all this week which is a good thing because we're continuing to do our uh, our construction work on the power increase for wysl am how's that coming it's coming along swimmingly it's going very well beautiful uh there's a lot of measurements that are involved and a lot of high-powered math and it's, it's very funny our chief engineer who does all this for us mark humphrey god bless him um uh, he was sitting at the round table yesterday after we went out and did did some work out in the field, and uh, he had some equation written longhand on a legal pad, and I just looked at it and said, "No, no, I can't even get close to that. I have no idea what that even is." He actually was doing equations. Yeah, wow. He, he did one longhand. I don't know why he did it that way. Maybe wow. he maybe he didn't have his scientific calculator. That's with him. impressive. Yeah, that's, that's old Ma- school. That's, that's Mark. Yeah, good to have him. So what do we got going on, uh, Valor Radio? Uh, boy, I'll tell you, we got there's all kinds of stuff going on with the military anyway. Um, first, the first item I wanted to get to was just on the news a couple of days ago. Remember that um, U.S. soldier who uh, bolted for the DMZ in North Korea? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, on Saturday he came back uh, into American uh, U.S. hands again um, because North Korea didn't want him. Pretty much what it amounted to. They didn't want. No, they didn't want him. They actually, they at the beginning, they they used him for propaganda, and once they used him up, they're like, we don't, we don't want you around. We don't even want to feed you. And I'm sure he had a hell of an appetite. Um, he's 23 years old, so he's not a kid. Okay, and he joined the he joined the army, and uh, well, just to, to, to for, by way of background, he ran across the DMZ, the militarized zone in Korea. Uh, uh, in July, uh, in July, because he was quote disillusioned about the unequal U.S. society, he says. <laughs> okay, all right. People were like, "Why would this guy do that?" First of all, he's lucky he didn't get shot. I mean, that's usually what happens if you make any kind of sudden moves at the at the DMZ. 
And, well, never mind. How wide is the DMZ, anyway? Do, How do wide it? is it? Yeah, is it I, I have no idea. Never been there. I had a chance to go there a couple times when I was at uh, Pacific Command, and I and I didn't go. I, I wish I had gone. It's like a hundred yards or something. That's all. Maybe it's more than I. I don't know. Well, it's it it it's um, it's got a terrible uh, 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 history. Um, I have a good friend who um, almost lost his leg in a firefight in 1978. I believe it was 78 or 77. Um, stuff like that happens all the time. Apparently, I just talked to a guy the other day who uh, was clearing out some bees at our at my mom's house, and he was stationed in Korea. He said every day he was out there, there some kind of incident happened, and uh, he said there's they they blare um, propaganda um, across the the uh, the line uh, into uh, the U.S. Uh, sector, and uh, it's uh, nasty propaganda, and they actually uh, collect intel on people, and they. They uh, intimidate them by giving them information about their own family. On loudspeakers. On loudspeakers. To let them know, you know, we know where your family lives. Wow. It's a really nasty place, the DMZ. But knucklehead, um, sorry, private second class Travis King. Now, I didn't even know they had anything called private second class in the Army. I know there was private, and then there was private first class. But now, of course, they they have to, I don't know, maybe, maybe they... They think it sounds better, some private second class. He admitted to entering the uh, DPRK illegally in July. Um, but, uh, but on a closer inspection uh, of his uh, actions, uh, we see a very different motives. For, for instance, um, King, who was stationed in South Korea, uh, had been arrested and fined by South Korean authorities, South Korean authorities, for damaging a police vehicle. This is uh, must have been when he first got there, and then he ended up spending seven months in a detention facility for that. So this guy's a winner. Yeah. So I mean, the ink is still drying on his uh, paperwork to, to enter the service, and he's spent seven months in detention already. He was due to return to the U.S. to face disciplinary action for his conduct, but he managed to slip away from his escort at the airport. And he joined a civilian tour group going to the DMZ. So it's like Bill and Ted's Big Adventure or whatever. So he he, he just ends up with this tour group, and you know, you know, and then he bolts across the the uh, the line, um, that makes his mad dash, so to speak. So um, once the North Koreans had him, they exploited him for months uh, uh, for propaganda. And uh, once they were done with them, which invariably they were going to be done with them, they decided, you know what, we don't want you anymore. They handed them over to Swedish authorities uh, who took them to China for handover to U.S. diplomats. So he had this, you know, odyssey to get back to American hands. And that happened this week, uh, this weekend. Uh, This is beautiful. According to a U.S. official, it's unclear whether King will face court martial or discipline. What? Hmm. Why? Uh, really? Under what circumstances would he not be court-martialed? I, I, I've never served, so I don't understand how these things work. I don't but understand that at all. Def- when I read trying that, to defect in North Korea? I had to read it twice because I thought, I must be reading that wrong. There, it's unclear whether he's going to be dis- – whether he'd be disciplined. I mean, what he did – I mean, he, he that's desertion. Right. He just deserted. Okay? They can make him write 50 times on a chalkboard, I will not desert. But, but, this, but. Is, this is an official statement. Uh, from from the uh, the military, our focus right now is on Private King's health and ensuring he receives uh, all appropriate support before re- uh, reuniting with his family. Unquote. 
The, the only health uh, problem he should have warm? at this point is, is is some commanding officer's foot up his butt, <laughs> or mine. I yeah. I just when I heard that I just wanted to vomit. I mean, it's just gag worthy when you think about it. That, that, that they cared about something about like his his reuniting with his family. Um, the video that they had at the airport when he when he came in um, by military aircraft shows uh, King deplaning at San Antonio. Uh, Joint Reserve Base, San Antonio, Texas, um, Saturday night when he was greeted by uniformed service members uh, who were seen shaking his hand. What? Shaking his hand. He's in civilian clothes. Um, the military guy comes up in, in, in camouflage uniform, no cover, of course, on a flight line. But he walks up to him and shakes his hand. I don't know. Maybe it was the commanding general. Maybe it was the CO of the base. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was the, the enlisted guy who was going to take him to his quarters or whatever. But the, he went up, went up and shook his hand and uh, was uh, seen escorting him to a waiting vehicle after giving him a reassuring tap on the shoulder. I saw it. It was oh. Fr- frankly, it was nauseating. What the, what, What's going on? What, what, what is the U.S. Army a support group now for for, <laughs> for nuts? I, I think it is. It's some some in the water at. Uh, AR Perscom or something. I don't know what's going on. With it. I don't know what's going on with the army. I don't. I really don't. There's there's a, there's a lot of turmoil uh, at at, uh, at at the Pentagon and all this recruiting stuff that's going on is it's got the army really um, you know looking over its shoulder. What's the turmoil at the Pentagon? What's that? Well, about? the recruitment because recruitment oh, is so good. bad. Well, the fifteen thousand down fifteen thousand, and then they. I just found out the Air Force didn't hit any of their their goals this year. For recruitment, well, I, this is understandable because, of course, any any kind of uh, a, um, uh, a body or service with authority is looked down now upon in society. Whether you're a, a policeman, uh, whether you're, I, you're military, I guess, whether you're in charge, that you're looked upon with suspicion. And of course, everybody has been so uh, uh, feminized in the educational process. That, that's the that's it. Feminized is right. But, I mean, I think that you want to join the military service because you want to defend the country and you want to keep us safe and you want to stand up for what's right and you want to break things. Right. Uh, but if that's been de-emphasized, this is the kind of recruit you get. Well, but we're wouldn't get they more... screen somebody like this out? I would think that. Uh... Well, you know, maybe maybe they were playing to you know the the, the the members of neighborhood or something. They didn't want to offend anybody, he, you know, from the neighborhood he came from, because they, you would think that they would want to make a statement when the guy came back that you know don't do this ever again, and uh, yeah. anybody who comes in had better not do it. Make an example. But out of no, they're, they're, you know, you treat people like this, you're going to get more of it. Yeah, no unfortunate. Question. You bet. Hey, it's Valor Radio with. Uh, Captain Steve Romano and yours truly, Bob Savage. We'll be back. Hey, look at them across the street. Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old 
in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all. And our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. Join Abate Monroe County, American bikers aimed toward education and help adult bikers ride free and safe. Check out our meetings on the third Friday monthly at Wise Guys Diner and Catering, 2811 Dewey Avenue. Join Abate for less than 50 cents a week. Google Abate Monroe County on the web. Hey, how about becoming a member of the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York? Help us preserve history. Plus, you get some pretty fancy benefits. Visit us online, nationalwarplanemuseum.com. If you're a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, please call the Veterans Crisis Line at 988 and then press 1. Donate now, vocroc.org. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. Way back to the beginning, ladies and gentlemen, for Bob Seeger. Beneath the bare light of a bush, she gazed into the eyes of love. Summer of 1966. Bathed in the dirty neon light, she begged him, don't go out tonight. If we work out somehow, maybe, we can find a way out, baby. And he left and said, I've got to go. Bob Seger. Bob Seger. Wow. His band was called uh, The Last Herd. I hear a little bit, yeah. Uh, Sounds really different. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, this is his first single. What was the band again? Uh, Last Heard. Huh. H-E-A-R-D. And what year was this? 1966. Wow. Yeah. How do you like that? I like that. Uh, it's, uh, I heard that on Sirius, and I thought that was really good. But anyway, we have an update that you would like to huh. uh, pass along here about none other than... It's a Fat Leonard update. Yay! Hey, hey, hey! It's Leonard. Leonard, yes. And I'm gonna sing a song. All right, what's going on with Fat Leonard? Oh, boy. Let, let's just do a quick recap, let the folks know who Fat Leonard is. Fat Leonard is uh, it's like a, a character out of central casting. Uh, uh, a few years back, uh, the U.S. Navy found that when it went to Pacific uh, uh, Theater ports, it, uh, it was kind of out of its element. They had a lot of problems with maintenance and uh, supply and logistics. And they really couldn't seem to get their act together until uh, um, one rather large gentleman uh, emerged uh, to, to say, I have a solution for you. I can help. And uh, Fat Leonard, uh, uh, Leonard Glenn Francis is his name. They call him Fat Leonard because he's close to 400 pounds. He's uh-huh. a big fella. Got it. Um, he uh, offered his services as a fixer. Uh, to get people, uh, to get uh, uh, unit COs, uh, ships commanding officers in port with large ships. I mean, we're talking carriers and uh, amphib ships, big ships, 
and told them, you know, I can get you supplied, I can get you entertainment. And that mm. was that kind of raised some eyebrows. They're like, hey, what kind of entertainment? Yeah. And he, he, you know, he was he was known for uh, being a, a quite the uh, entertainment guy. Yeah, I'll yeah. bet. He he was he was uh, um, infamous for getting them the the, the right kind of uh, whiskey and uh, cognac, cigars, some uh, some special beef. I can't remember the, the the kind of beef that they that they had. It was some kind of beef that uh, it cost a ton of money. And uh, prostitutes, which uh, you know we yeah, never would have thought fe- that could female have companionship right. of distinction, right? So Leonard Glenn Francis was uh, was uh, known by every admiral and every uh, a port director. So he, he became um, the man to know, and he, he did this for quite some time. And uh, money uh, eventually started changing hands, and Leonard offered a lot of it and a lot of entertainment and a lot of dinners. Dinners were part of the the package, and, and uh, a lot of guys got in trouble just for accepting uh, a lot of dinners from him because they were expensive dinners. So um, quite a few flag officers got um, tangled up in his web, if, if you will, and they went to, to jail. Some of them are in Leavenworth right now. Wow. Yeah, and um, it's, been a, it's been a real scandal. It, the, the U.S. government spent tens of millions of dollars uh, trying to prosecute these fellows, so there's there's this a is all by way of facilitating you know, supplies and stuff, but but also entertainment. What we what we call in accounting T and E travel and entertainment, right. right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean he uh, he had an infamous, infamous reputation, and um, everybody who went to the theater knew about it. It wasn't like they they were surprised by it. Anybody who who uh, um, went went to uh, a port of, of call in in uh, Malaysia or Singapore knew all about Leonard Glenn Francis and what he could do for them. So it was not a surprise for these guys. So uh, until recently, relatively recently, he was living in this country. He was living in San Diego in a very nice palatial mansion in San Diego. And he was free of any kind of uh, harassment. Um, but he was on trial for quite a, quite some time, and eventually the trial ended, and he was convicted on many counts, and he was awaiting sentencing. And they they just let him stay, you know, released him right. on his own recognizance. They did, and he disappeared, right? He, right. He he, and it was the way he did it. He uh, right while he was awaiting sentencing, uh, one weekend uh, he just decided uh, now's the the time I'm going to make my move, and he called uh, moving uh, vans and. Uh, 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 pack, packers to come in there and, and gather up all his household goods and pack everything out. He was literally bugged out. It was it was pretty pretty amazing what he did and how he did it. The neighbors saw him doing it. It was like, like over a weekend. Wasn't it was it? over a weekend. Yeah. And what he did was he had a, a, a bracelet on a um a, um yeah, a tracker tracker on his uh, on his uh, rather large uh, ankle. And he, he cut the bracelet off and soaked it in water and took off. And they never got around to uh, to, to uh, checking it out until he'd already vacated the premises. He never got around to it. They never got around to it. I mean, the the uh, the bracelet or anklet was presumably being monitored, so it would stop. You would think. The transponder would stop. That would, I would think, scramble law enforcement to his well, palatial, palatial abode. Well, he, he left on a, I think he left, they said he left on a Saturday, and I think they, they found out on Monday he was gone. Oh, that's and, a little late. Yeah. yeah. And then by that time, they didn't know where he was. He, he presumably... 
uh, bolted to Mexico across the border. And then from there, you know, he was like a leaf in the breeze. We have an extradition treaties yeah. with Mexico, I oh, think. Well. Yeah. well, he ended up in Venezuela. He got caught in Venezuela, and that's where he is today. So is he in the clink in Venezuela? He's in the clink, okay. and he's under um, – he, I don't know, he's not under house arrest. I think he's under actual arrest at a prison. But uh, there was talk that the U.S. would extradite him, but that has not occurred. Well, we're not getting along real well with Venezuela these no. days. No, we're not. That was part of the the the, uh, the rub, except for was, Joe Biden begging them for oil. Yeah, right. That's it. But the, if we think that we're going to get him back anytime soon, I got news for you. I don't really think the, the U.S. government wants him back, and uh, there's no movement in that direction. Well, Fat Leonard so, has a, a a pretty large capacity, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, for bribing people. Uh, he's got a lot of money. He does. Lot, got a lot he's of hookers. Still, he's still got a lot of money. Got back, a lot back of in the yeah. He's got a lot. There's a lot of bodies buried back there. Well, what happened was four former U.S. Navy officers were cleared last month in in this uh, bribery scandal when the judge in the case, who's the same judge has been around uh, for, for since the beginning, her, U.S. District Judge Janice San Martino, um, accused uh, the prosecution of uh, prosecutorial misconduct, quote unquote. Uh, she said in a sentence sentencing hearing that the prosecutor's conduct could only be described as outrageous, prompting her to vacate the felony charges of all four of the men that were uh, charged and, and convicted. And once that occurred, all of them, uh, uh, f- all four pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges, and uh, that carried a, f- a $100 fine. They paid the fine on the spot, and they left uh, court. They walked out of fine. court. What was so outrageous about the prosecution? I, you know, they didn't, they didn't get into it, and I'm yeah. dying to know what it was. Right. But um, they had a pro- she had a problem with what they did. And um, how about you charge the prosecutors, but you don't let the perps go? I mean, if we're going to do justice here, right? Well, we, I don't think we were interested in justice so much. I think we just wanted the, the whole issue to go away. And now, essentially, it has gone away, uh, sort of. There were four uh, officers, a Captain David Newland, a Captain David Lousman, a Captain James Dolan, and a commander, Mario Herrera. Herrera acknowledged that he destroyed a government hard drive with a hammer, which sounds vaguely familiar to me. Yeah. Where do you get that idea? I, I don't know, but um, it seems to be the thing to do. Well, <laughs> at least we got 400 bucks. I mean, let's celebrate that. Yeah. Now, whether, whether or not uh, Leonard's going to face extradition in the near future is anyone's guess. But that's where we stand right now. Oh, boy. Your so, tax dollars are work, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um, we had talked a, a couple weeks ago about um, the Navy's mothball fleet, and I just want to tell you what's going on with, with the mothball fleet. Now, that's fleet. in Philadelphia, is it not? It's in different places. They're, um, the, 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 the mothball fleet is where they used to put ships in reserve so they could be reactivated quickly in, in time of um, emergency if needed. But most of the ships remain inactive or just get scrapped along the way. In fact, um, uh, two major carriers uh, have gone into uh, mothball recently, well, sort of recently. USS John F. Kennedy, um, CV-67, went into uh, mothballs in 2007. And USS Kitty Hawk went into mothballs, uh, just uh, I think, three or four years ago. Um, and was uh, decommissioned. They both of them were, were decommissioned, and one of them, uh, Kitty Hawk, was supposed to be made a museum, and uh, uh, now is supposed to be scrapped. 
Now, Philadelphia is the largest uh, Navy shipyard that still has mothball ships, um, but it's a shadow of what it once was. The current mothball fleet is only around 600 ships. It's in Bremerton, Washington, Mare Island, California, San Diego, California, uh, Norfolk, Virginia. I think it's in the James River. Um, place called Orange, Texas, and Philadelphia, of course, which is you know still got some ships. But Philadelphia used to have a ton of ships. They don't have a lot anymore. The uh, the three inactive ship maintenance facilities that exist are in Puget Sound, Bremerton, Washington, Joint Base Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and Philadelphia, of course. Um, and the military is um, got aircraft that go to Davis Monthan Air Base, which is called the Boneyard. Now, hmm. when we come back, I just want to give you an idea of where we, what we used to have. Yeah. If we got 600 now, I want to tell you what we used to have. I want to find out what mothball means, what the process is, too. We'll find out that and more on Valor Radio with Captain Steve Amano, USN retired, but up bright and early to do the show with us here on the WYSL stations. Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania. You're listening to Valor Radio. We are back in here with Valor Radio. So glad that you joined us. Thanks so much for listening to the WYSL stations. Don't forget the uh, podcast, always available at WYSL1040.com. Here's Captain Steve Mamano. Almost said Colonel out of habit. That's okay. You know, we, uh, we talked about how many mothball ships we have now which is around 600 and uh the ships that are in mothball now now are ones that uh when i first came in the navy were were put in the fleet it's that's how you know that was 40 years ago now in the early early 80s and we had ticonderoga class uh cruisers aegis cruisers and uh virginia class uh, cruisers and Oliver Hazard Perry class frigates. There were a lot of them. They're still around, but they're 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 trying to thin them out of a fleet, and they're getting rid of most of them. I think they've gotten rid of most of them already. But uh, those are the kind of ships that are in mothballs now. Let me ask: what what determines when a ship goes into mothballs? Is it outmoded, or is it? Uh... Well, it's 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 a combination of things. Number one, uh, they they consider them obsolete and outdated because. Of the weapon system mostly, or the or the radar suite, or the uh, the armament can't can't be refitted. Yes, they could. In fact, they make the, those ships are are so well made in a, in a lot of cases, and a lot of them have um, armor plating on them that they don't have now. The, the ships that they're building now are just you know they're 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 infamous for being um, uh, uh, you know unable to take a hit. In fact, um, the Oliver Hazard Perry class, when I, I got to actually be on one a, a couple times, um, I was just shocked at how um, thin the skin was on the on the sh- side of the ship where the, the freeboard was. I mean, I, I expected there to be some kind of armor plating or something, and it's like banging on a, a dumpster. 
There's nothing there. I mean, if, if you took a torpedo or you, 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 you collide or you hit a collision or you, you, you know, uh, you hit a whale, I mean, you're going to do damage to the... Uh, like a hot knife to the, through butter, huh? Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty uh, alarming. What's the thinking there? Save money? What? Yeah, it, it is to save money. The, the ships get more expensive to operate as they get older. Um, and there's, there's some loss of mission capability, I'm sure. But um, you, can, you can backfit new radar systems, and you can add guns. You can, you can subtract guns. You can put missiles on them. They don't usually put guns on anymore, but they're going to put missile systems on. And um, a missile's a missile, you know, and, and uh, you, could, you could backfit anything. But, so uh, what propels us? Is, is, is it because we've got a million, de trillion, de, uh, you know, defense budget? And that's the, what it let's is. Let's spend money. It, it, it comes down to the it, contractors. It, it comes down to money. It's a zero sum game. If you spend money maintaining old ships, you can't buy new ones. Yeah. And they want new ships. That's why they're getting rid of the mothball fleet uh, in an, an alarming rate. But you want to see alarming? This is this is what we used to do. We have a history of doing this. What? Listen to this. Um, you know, we always. I always have a problem with uh, people on TV talking about, you know, today's Navy being the greatest Navy ever. I mean, I would love to say it is because that was my Navy, but it's not the greatest Navy we ever had. The greatest Navy we ever had was in 1945 that won World War II. Now, on the last day of the war, uh, August 14th, 1945, was the last day, I think, of fighting in in World War II when the the Japanese uh, uh, surrender uh, took effect. Uh, or the uh, ceasefire took effect before the surrender. And we had, uh, in ni- that day in 1945, we had 6,768 vessels in the U.S. Navy. Now, that's about 2,000 major combatants and about another 4,700 uh, minor combatants, like under, um, I think it's under 1,000 uh, d- ton displacement. So that's a lot of ships. I, yeah. I had no idea we had that many. Cool. But one less than one year later, on six thirty forty six, the uh, size of the U.S. Navy was twelve hundred and forty eight. We had it went from six thousand to twelve forty eight, seven hundred to twelve forty eight in, in six months. In, in one in less than one year, that's how that's how much we demobilized after World War II. I was shocked to find that out. And then please, uh, tell, but, me, they, please tell me they didn't scuttle all those. Well, they used a lot of them for um, like atomic, atomic bomb tests, like Bikini Atoll and other, other places when they did, um, you know, sea-based uh, atomic. They wanted to test the, the hydrogen bomb. And gunnery practice. And, and if you ever see the hydrogen bomb test, it's, it's a Bikini Atoll is surrounded by big Navy ships like carriers. And some of them like were lifted out of the water and, and they never sank. And they were very proud of the fact that those ships did not sink. In fact, there's one infamous story about one particular diesel submarine uh, that was so proud of the fact that it, after the the ship was, uh, you know, bounced out of the water by the hydrogen bomb uh, and contaminated, that, that that the crew went back on the ship and restarted the engines. And of course, when they did that, they put they sent radioactive material uh, all over the crew. That's and a lot of those guys ended up dying of cancer oh later on. Gosh. Yeah, it's an infamous story, but. Um, it's terrible. By 1950, the uh, active uh, Navy was down to 634 ships. So so 90% of the fleet was gone. You're right. Isn't that amazing? I never would have thought that. Today we have around 290 uh, ships. Um, 
in the in the Navy, uh, and and not all of them are combatants. A lot of those are auxiliaries. As of and that is down from in recent years, wasn't it around four hundred? No, we we were almost around six hundred under Ronald Reagan. We were I think four ships shy of six hundred under Ronald Reagan. That was when John Lehman, who was Secretary of the Navy, set out to, to build a six hundred ship navy, and he almost got there. So yeah, the the mothball fleet is dwindling, and um, you just can't restore it uh, overnight. I mean, for us to add ships. You know, to that number, you know, it's going to take a long time, and we just don't have the ships. Now, when a ship is mothballed, what does what does that consist? What does of? it entail? Um, what they do is they put big evaporators on the on the ship to to uh, suck out all the water because uh, corrosion is just the anathema to a ship. They uh, if you let a ship uh, just uh, sit in the elements, it will just rust. What they do is put these huge domes, radomes on top of the um, on top of the 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 deck where the uh, guns are and where the um the uh, radars are and they keep them completely dry and um hu- humidity free so that um at, at a time when of their choosing they can open them back up again uh do some uh, relatively minor maintenance on them and they'll start working again but if you turn off the evaporators and that's uh, a lot of times what happens in these uh mothball fleets that that aren't well uh, maintained uh, as soon as the va- evaporators go off they immediately start rusting sure when i used to go uh, over philadelphia um, a navy yard when i used to fly into philly uh, i used to fly over the um, old aircraft carrier shangri-la and shangri-la they turn the evaporators off of, on uh, shangri-la they use it for spare parts for the battleships but when they turn the evaporators off it started to grow grass on the flight deck oh my and God. when you used to go if i used to fly over it was like flying over like a, a putting green it was all uh, full of moss and and grass it was pretty pretty nasty looking so yeah, that's what and, happens and, yeah i mean salt water and steel salt we, we all water. know what happened. look look at the sullivans in buffalo exactly Look at the Sullivans, yeah, which, by the way, just uh, celebrated its 80th anniversary. So they believe that they've uh, turned the corner, and hopefully they're going to put her in dry dock, and, and she'll be around for another 80 years. They're going to take her up to Canada, I think. Yeah, so uh, Port, uh, Port Colburn. Colburn, yeah, yeah I think right. so. Okay. All um, right, well, we, we're going to do a, a little, uh, uh, what, movie retrospective? Yes, we are. Is that <laughs> what... All right. Military movie trivia and fun coming up next on Valor Radio. Captain Steve Amato. We'll be back on WYSL. go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in 
in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. Hi, I'm Alan Ginsberg of the A.M. Ginsberg Advisory Group, LLC. I know a lot of you have heard enough of my ad regarding business continuation. We started this campaign in September 2020, and I want you to know the response has just been tremendous. The best part is that we're seeing the results of our efforts. Business owners who have been procrastinating on how to make sure their business continues on a successful path are starting to make the changes that are needed. Whether it be talking to their children, key employees, or favorite competitors, they are starting to get things done, making sure that their life's work doesn't just go by the wayside. Give us a call at 585-377-4720. We'll sit down and talk, find out what your business and family goals are. That's 585-377-4720. Thank you. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. AM Ginsburg Advisory Group and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all, and our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. You're listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. All right, we're talking uh, about uh, uh, military films. Story of G.I. Joe. Here's the theme. Makes you want to straighten up and fly right. And that's it. And that's it. That fades to dialogue. Yeah, that was that movie's uh, theme was actually nominated for an Academy Award in 1945. I can't remember the name of the the, the gal who was uh, nominated, but. Um, I think there was a, a woman that was nominated for that. But uh, we're doing war movie tr- uh, talk here, and this, the movie is The Story of G.I. Joe, 1945, from United Artists, Lester Cowan Productions, directed by William A. Wellman, who was a World War I flyer who uh, wanted to tell a story from the perspective of the dog-faced soldier. Uh, and he based his story on the writings of war correspondent Ernie Pyle, who is a... Scripps Howard uh, correspondent who won a Pulitzer Prize for his columns from the battlefields of North Africa and and, uh, Europe, Tunisia, specifically in Italy in World War II. Ernie Ernie Pyle was embedded, although they didn't call it embedding back then. Uh, He was with the 36th Infantry Division, but for the purposes of this film, he was assigned to Company C, 18th Infantry Regiment of the 1st Infantry Division, a unit that never served in Italy uh, um, uh, 
strangely. So a little bit, uh, dis- a little bit of a disconnect on that. But um, instead of using professional extras and minor actors in the movie, director Wellman chose to use real combat soldiers in the process of being transferred from the European theater to the Pacific theater. And he gave them speaking parts in the film, which you, you, you'll see in the picture. Um, That's never it, done in Hollywood. Never done. It, but it gives the picture real authenticity if yeah. you see it. Well, well um, uh, Wellman was a stickler for authenticity. Oh, he was good. He was one of the best. He was one of the best in making war pictures. Uh, his his war pictures had soul and heart. If you're, you ever see a Battleground with uh, Van Johnson about the 101st Airborne at uh, Bastogne, it's just uh, he's just a great director. Um, I, I I am deficient, and I I confess I'm deficient when it comes to uh, having watched my share of uh, a war movies. Well, you'll, you'll you'll tell you what if you if you watch a few of them, uh, a few of Wellman's pictures, you'll get an appreciation for um, his desire to to make a, a war film um, realistic and uh, meaningful. He didn't want them to be flag waving productions. He wanted them to be uh, heartfelt, and they were. Yeah. Uh, by, um, by the way, the uh, music. Uh, for Ernie Pyle's story of G.I. Joe was by Louis Applebaum and Anne Ronell. There you go. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. All right. Well, they, and they uh, they deserve the credit because they did a great job. Um, he gave speaking parts to the picture uh, of the in the picture to to uh, soldiers, um, and um, he had a, a a handful of actual stars in the film, uh, but he had him living with the. Um, the soldiers to get to know what the life of an infantryman was like. So, um, and they and they didn't have any problem with it at all. Burgess Meredith, who was the star of the movie, who played Ernie Pyle, and Robert Mitchum actually liked living with the soldiers. Which you know, I Mitchum, I would have seen him, you know, enjoying it because he's a pretty casual guy. He he, he was a hard drinking, hard partying guy, and I'm sure he enjoyed being around the Hollywood's the soldiers. bad boy. Yeah, he was. There's one he, production I can't remember what it was. They had to, they, they they had to let him out of jail. Yes, they uh, did. To, to, to go on the set. Well, you know why he went in jail? He used marijuana. Right. And he, he used marijuana his whole life. He, he didn't really care that he got arrested and got in trouble for it. And he didn't care what the studio thought. He, he just he smoked marijuana like in, in his house. He, it was not one of these things where he went out partying and corrupting other people. But he, he liked to smoke pot, and he did. So nothing you could do about it. Um, uh, the, tragically, many of the soldiers who appeared in this movie were killed. In the battle for Okinawa, uh, the, the same battle that took the life of Ernie Pyle, by the way, in April 45, they never got to see themselves on the silver screen. Because the film was a biopic about Ernie, uh, a lot of uh, thought went into who would play him. And the actor that they chose was Burgess Meredith, who was 38 years old at the time and was a captain serving in the Army Air Corps. They considered a couple of other actors, Walter Brennan and James Gleason, who could have done a, a pretty fair job, but you couldn't have gotten better than, than Burgess Meredith in this Bre- movie. Brennan was hard to handle, too. Yeah, he was. Now, tough... people say, well, you know, uh, Ernie Powell was an old man. You know, he really wasn't. He was, he was 44 years old, and Meredith was 38, so there was a six-year difference. It wasn't that big a deal. But the Army refused to release Meredith from his active duty contract until FDR's closest advisor, Harry Hopkins, went to General George C. Marshall, who was the chief of staff of the Army. Actually, he was the head of the Combined Chiefs at that point, and asked him to sign off on Meredith's, Meredith's uh, discharge, which he did. Uh, to play the, the role of a, a C Company commander um, uh, um, of the uh, 18th Infantry Regiment, they picked uh, uh, um, Wellman chose a young new actor, Robert Mitchum, who was so believable that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor 
Oscar for this role. The only one of his career. In all the movies that Mitchum made, this was the only movie that he got nominated for an Academy Award Yeah, he for. got no respect. No, he didn't. Unfortunately, he didn't. He was a, good, he was a great actor. Not for Out of the Past, not for... Uh, oh, yeah, Cape Fear. I mean, all Cape those, Fear, the all original. those great films. Yeah, yeah. He, he was such a di- or uh, uh, what was the one with Charles Charles Lawton directed the uh, where he had his knuckles uh, hate and love uh, uh, Night of the Hunter. That's another one. I, uh, that's no. I gotta see that. One. That's a great movie. If you yeah. get a chance to see that, he's just sinister in that movie. Now the other two actors who played in the movie uh, they had memorable performances were Freddie Steele as Sergeant Warnicky, the senior NCO, and Wally Castle, who played Private Dondero, who was always getting in trouble with, with his uh, commanding officer. Um, this was not going to be a feel-good movie that had a lot of flag-waving about it. Time magazine called uh, the uh, story of G.I. Joe the least glamorous movie ever made about World War II, quote-unquote. Um, it was grim. Yes, it was grim, and it was very personal, showing the folks back home the miserable conditions that their sons had to endure overseas. And it's just awful. If you see it, you, you feel for these guys watching the movie. There were three scenes in particular that Wellman included in the movie that would never have made it in, into uh, past the censors under any other director, in my opinion. The first one was a, a bug-out situation where the battalion commander literally abandons their command post when he realizes the Germans have overrun their position. It's a frightening scene because uh, the radio goes dead and the colonel appears visibly shaken and orders that all maps and charts be, quote, burned in the fire. And in the process of retreating, he leaves a dead soldier on the floor of the CP. Um, the second scene was um, when a senior NCO, Sergeant Warnicky, suffers a psychological breakdown, complete collapse in the middle of a f- uh, firefight and has to be restrained by his fellow soldiers, including the CO. And the third one is the shocking death, spoiler alert, of uh, Mitchum's character, Captain Walker, um, who we see being laid out in front of his men. The scene is heartbreaking because we actually see Walker's face in death up close. Now, none of these scenes would have been allowed in any picture being made during the war, in, in my opinion. Uh, and when G.I. Joe premiered in Jan- June of '45, the war in the Pacific was still going on. And uh, one more uh, interesting little tidbit about the movie, um, uh, one more added touch. Under the, uh, ed- under the, the, uh, the ending t- uh, uh, sequence, when the movie ends, there are no credits run on the screen whatsoever, not even the word, the end. And, uh, it just ends. Yeah, it just ends. And uh, we'll, we'll play the, the ending in a second here uh, whenever you're ready. Okay, here we go. That is our war. And we will carry it with us as we go from one battleground to another until it's all over. We will win. I hope we can rejoice with victory, but humbly. That all together we will try, try out of the memory of our anguish, to reassemble our broken world into a pattern so firm and so fair that another great war can never again be possible. And for those beneath the wooden crosses, there is nothing we can do except perhaps to pause and murmur, thanks, pal, thanks.
And that's the end of the movie. That's the movie. Yeah. And uh, now that narration was actually taken from Ernie Pyle's columns. His newspaper yes, it columns. was. Actually, it was. There's a scene in the movie also where uh, one of the, the fellows, a, a guy named Wingless Murphy, is killed. He's got a, a wife who is a nurse. He married the nurse, and they uh, they gave him a little wedding, and they put him in the back of a, of a truck, and all the guys kind of respected the fact that he was in there with his wife on their wedding night, and they played a, a, a little music on a, on a phonograph. That was his wedding, but he ended up getting killed. Oh and there's an awful God. scene. The scene where he gets killed, Ernie um, starts to cry. When he, when he finds out that Murphy didn't come back, and that everybody was lining out their the, the names that they had on their on their um, beneficiary for their life insurance because they put uh, Murphy down, and his, uh, his wife was now a widow, so they were all like basically trying to take care of her. Oh my! And the and the, the woman who played the, uh, the the nurse was William Wellman's wife, Dorothy. By the way, great movie. Gotta see it. It's 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 well worth seeing. It's not a very long movie, but it's uh, it's a picture well worth seeing. I gotta see it. Great. Hey, Steve. As usual, exemplary job today. Thank you. Uh, you should see, ladies and gentlemen, you should see all the uh, prep that he brings in for this I'm show. Uh, very very impressive. Well, thanks for listening to Valor Radio. Uh, Colonel Paul Simonelli will be back next week. We hope. We assume that we he will, and uh, we thank the captain for coming in here at Zero Dark Thirty, and thank you for tuning into Valor Radio. Tell a buddy about the program. Pray for our troops and their families, and we'll see you next week on Valor Radio. I head down to my booth. I don't do it for the money. There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures My responsibility Yeah, I'm real good under pressure Being all